This week on Myths and Legends, we're continuing the original story of Pinocchio, where we will read the most passive-aggressive tombstone ever. And you'll also see how a team of rabbit undertakers can help you discipline your kids. On the Creature of the Week, you'll see how terrible dad dancing might just save your life. From Vicious Mermen. This is Myths and Legends, episode 112B, Nosy. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, a short-tempered Geppetto made the mischievous Pinocchio from a sentient log because, okay, and Pinocchio was kind of the worst. He ran away from home to have an all-night dance party with fellow marionettes, and then trusted a fox and a cat, who said they were going to help him plant a money tree. Disguised, the fox and the cat surprised him on the road at night, and hung him, and killed him. And then the original author of the story sold the story to a publisher, and also didn't want to do a lot of extra work, so there's more to the story. fairy with turquoise hair, watching from a nearby window, gasped as she watched the coins fall to the ground. The puppet was dead. Despite the ability to intervene during any one of the previous several hours, the fairy had waited until the body stopped twitching to whistle to her bird friends. Instantly, a falcon appeared in the sky outside her window, and she gave the command to go cut Pinocchio down. Below, the wooden body of Pinocchio clambered to the ground in a heap. The fairy snapped her fingers, and a poodle walking on two legs with a tasteful tricorn hat and chocolate-covered velvet vest appeared. Medora the poodle, being the very best type of lift, nodded and left to fetch Pinocchio from the woods and bring him to the fairy's house. Pinocchio blinked awake. A trio of owl, crow, and talking cricket physicians standing above him, deep in conversation. Fortunately, the animals didn't see him move, so he could still sleep. Pinocchio inched the sheet over his head. Just a few more minutes. Just a few more minutes. Wait, didn't he die? That was when he remembered everything. The previous day came spinning back to him. The assassins, the hanging, the ghost of the talking cricket whose brother apparently went to cricket medical school, Pinocchio began to weep underneath the sheets. By now, the fairy had cleared the room and approached. She pulled back the sheets and looked softly at the crying puppet. He asked if he was alive, and the fairy nodded. Oh, awesome. Can I go now? Wait, was that it? The fairy replied. My team of animal physicians brought you back from the dead, and... Oh, awesome, is all I get. Pinocchio shrugged. I mean, thanks? Too late, moving on. The fairy replied with a wave of her hand. And no, you can't go yet. First, you have to take your magic medicine so you don't die. Again. Is it sweet or bitter? Pinocchio blurted, quite ready to get going. The fairy cleared her throat and narrowed her eyes. This guy was unbelievable. If it kept you from dying... Who cared about the flavor? It's bitter, she said. 
<laughs> no thanks, I don't like bitter things, Pinocchio burst, refusing the magical medicine that would save him from the icy grip of death. The fairy groaned. Okay, here. If you wanted, Pinocchio could have sugar in a spoon to aid in the swallowing of his bitter medicine. Pinocchio's eyes lit up. You mean a spoonful? Nope. Nope. Not phrased that way. Definitely not sung. We're not doing that. The fairy, who could defeat death but didn't want to mess with copyright lawyers, replied. Pinocchio nodded. It sounded delightful. He'd take the sugar first, please. The fairy handed him the sugar, which he gulped down, and then he promptly asked for another. He would take his medicine after that. Promised. Clearly not setting any boundaries, the fairy gave him another, trusting the honesty of this weak old puppet child. Well, he refused again, and now he had a number of requests, reminiscent of a kid right before bedtime. He wanted a new pillow, a glass of water, his door closed just so, and so on. The fairy gave in to Pinocchio's every whim, and at the end of their cyclical conversation, he still refused the bitter medicine. Everyone has a breaking point, and the fairy had finally reached hers. Pinocchio was now hours away from death. Again. His response? Fine, I'd love to. With that, the fairy shrugged. Might as well get along with it then. She clapped twice, and her helpers came jogging into the room. Four rabbits dressed in black shouldered a puppet child-sized coffin. They rested it beside Pinocchio's bed, who, still very much alive had a big problem with this turn of events. The rabbits rolled Pinocchio out of bed and into the open coffin, and after slamming the lid down half a dozen times on the panicked boy's hands, the marionette screamed that he would take the medicine. Ten minutes later, he was feeling much, much better. So much better, in fact, that he sprang out of bed and shared his whole story with the fairy, about the robbers and everything. At the end of his tale, she asked where the gold pieces were. Pinocchio shrugged, he had no idea at all. At that moment, his nose grew. Really? The fairy insisted, looking at the boy's growing nose. No idea? Nope, came the reply. It grew again. Okay, so I have no idea how he thought he was going to get away with this lie. The gold pieces were actually in his pocket. The fairy and the animal medical team had put them there while he was unconscious. But still, he tried to hide it. He lied so much that he pinned his nose to the ceiling and the fairy left him there, crying for hours because he couldn't get free. Eventually, the fairy made him promise not to lie, which sounds problematic by its very nature, but after he agreed, she summoned 1,000 woodpeckers to tackle this job in shifts. At last, Pinocchio's nose returned to normal. The fairy's house was coated in sawdust, but he was free. And, better still, the fairy had sent her poodle lift Geppetto, to come live with them. If they all wanted, they could live in a cottage that was apparently big enough for a fairy, an animal medical team, a wooden puppet boy, and 1,000 woodpeckers. Pinocchio was stunned. Wow, so this was a happily ever after situation. The fairy shrugged. Sure, all Pinocchio had to do was stay here long enough for Geppetto to arrive, and they could wrap the story up. The boy looked out the window. That sounded well and good but he was super excited to see his dad and for Geppetto to know he was all right. What if he set out into the dark forest to meet his pops halfway? The fairy wavered. Ugh. That sounded like a whole new narrative arc, but maybe not. He just had to stay close. 
no wandering into the dark forest alone. With a quick nod and a giant smile, Pinocchio dashed out the door. Standing on the path going into the dark forest, Pinocchio struggled to remember. Was it yes go into the dark forest or no going into the dark forest? He was pretty sure it was a yes. So he entered the dark forest. Hey buddy, Pinocchio heard from the trees. He whipped around and saw none other than the fox and the cat. Pinocchio's face lit up. He was so glad they were safe. The night they left him at the inn, he'd run into highwaymen on the road who tried to steal his gold coins. He even died, maybe. Oh, hey, what happened to the cat's paw? The fox stepped in. Their friend the cat had done a brave and generous thing today. They had found a starving wolf on the road, and, too near to death to move, the poor creature had asked if they had any food. They didn't. See, they had just finished passing out their own food to various hungry babies, as they did all the time. So the cat, he gave himself. He placed his paw in the wolf's mouth and let the wolf eat it. The cat chimed in that it was a very small price to pay for another creature's life, but he would do it again. The fox sniffled. Really, the cat was so kind like that. Quickly, he composed himself. They were just glad they found Pinocchio, though. So, uh, did he still have the coins? Pinocchio nodded. Yeah, but his dad was going to be, that's awesome, the fox replied, because our timeline for the field thing, it just got moved up to today. See, a rich man was buying the field, and it was going to be closed to the public starting tomorrow. Pinocchio better bury his coins today if he wanted to multiply them. Oh, and the fox was mistaken earlier. It didn't take all night to grow a tree. Just like 20 minutes. Quick enough for a short walk away from the field. So, come on, he urged. He could see Pinocchio hesitating. Stepping closer and draping a paw around Pinocchio's shoulders, he explained that it was only two miles away. A half an hour walk, tops. He could leave now and be back in less than two hours. And he and his father would never have to work again. Pinocchio remembered his father and the crushing poverty. Well, okay, Pinocchio agreed. And, once again, he left with the fox and the sometimes blind cat. Ha, yeah, they robbed you, Pinocchio heard from the trees. He looked up to see a parrot there, judging him. Pinocchio had come to the field with the fox and the cat and sewn his gold pieces. The parrot advised the puppet to take a walk while the tree grew. It was magic and couldn't grow with someone watching it. As for them, they were going to continue their life of rambling from town to town, helping out everyone who needed it, and even though Pinocchio offered them their weight in gold for their help, they refused. They had never accepted payment for their help they said goodbye forever to their little puppet friend and wished him the very best. It was a long 20 minutes, and Pinocchio returned not to a tree full of gold pieces, but to the same mound of dirt and this judgy parrot who just watched the whole thing go down. As soon as Pinocchio was out of sight, the fox and the cat returned and dug up the gold pieces. Pinocchio refused to believe it and tore up the ground, but the parrot was right. Everything was gone. Pinocchio had been through too much for that gold to let it be taken from him like that. He marched toward the nearest town, called the Town of Simple Simons. He was going to gather the police force and go after these con animals. When the parrot realized what he was doing, 
he tried frantically to stop the puppet. The city of Simple Simons was a weird place, but it was no use. Pinocchio entered the town in the very obvious metaphors and was immediately struck by just how depressing everything was. All the dogs were bald, the butterflies couldn't fly because they had sold the color on their wings, and peacocks were kind of ashamed because they had given away their tail feathers. But foxes, hawks, and vultures rode around in beautiful carriages. Hmm. Still, this was the best chance he had for catching the fox, and so he went straight to the courthouse. Guilty, barked the judge, flanked by two mastiffs. Pinocchio was pretty confused. He wasn't even aware he'd been on trial until he was pronounced guilty. Apparently, he was guilty of being conned, to which Pinocchio had obviously said yes, he'd been conned. That's why he was here at all, the judge simply shook his head, and Pinocchio was unrepentant too. Well, he was going to make an example out of him. He handed down his sentence. Pinocchio was to spend four months in prison, starting now. Pinocchio yelled back that none of this made sense at all, but it was too late. The Mastiff bailiffs had him in their grasp and dragged him kicking and screaming from the courtroom, and it would have been a long four months, but the town of Simple Simons was not very great at keeping track of their prisoners. The king whose dominion stretched over the town of Simple Simons announced that he had won a great battle, and so there were to be parties in the street and all the prisoners in jail were to be released, which seems counterproductive to running a safe and prosperous city, but fairy tale royalty had a lot going on, I guess. So the jails were opened, and Pinocchio was allowed to run free. Immediately, he left the city of Simple Simons and never looked back. Somewhere during his sentence, he had lost track of the days inside the cell, but figured his father had to be waiting for him by now. Pinocchio hoped that his dad hadn't gone off looking for him. The world was dangerous, Case in point, the giant serpent sleeping on the road ahead. Pinocchio spied the serpent stretched across the road, completely blocking his way. The tail trickled off into the fields, and the head seemed to be fast asleep. Still, Pinocchio didn't dare cross in front of it, and he didn't know how long the snake was. Maybe, he thought, since he was wooden, the snake wouldn't want to eat him. With a deep breath, Pinocchio walked up to the snake and tapped him on the face. And the snake didn't move. Pinocchio deflated. Okay, well, he was going to tell a story and explain that his worried father was waiting for him, but the snake might be asleep. He might be dead. Gathering his courage, Pinocchio lifted a foot to step carefully over the snake and then almost immediately found the creature coiled around his entire body. The snake's tail smoked as he recalled it from the field, and his eyes burned like embers. He had tricked Pinocchio, he said, laughing maniacally. He laughed louder and louder and louder, until he stopped laughing. And then he slumped over on the road, and resumed his original sleeping and or seemingly dead position. Pinocchio wondered if this was another trap, but the rest of the snake's body went slack too, freeing the marionette. He ran as fast as he could, not knowing that the snake had laughed so hard that he'd ruptured one of the arteries in his heart and died instantly. Yeah, apparently today was Pinocchio's day. Slowing to a jog about a quarter mile away, 
Pinocchio realized that he was starving. Jail food hadn't been super appetizing, and right before him stood a very convenient orchard. He was so hungry that he felt if he took one more step, he'd fall over. He needed something in his hollow wooden stomach. Now, it was stealing, he knew, but he was starving. So Pinocchio reached for the fruit, and he felt a snap. Looking down, he saw the farmer's trap. Yep, there it was, plain as day. In moments, the farmer had a gun leveled on him. The same luck that had saved him from prison and a snake had not protected him from stealing fruit. Pinocchio sighed as he tried to get comfortable in the hay. The farmer hadn't shot him, but now Pinocchio kind of wished he had. Pinocchio was the farmer's new dog. The old dog had died at just three years old, and the farmer was having some problems with weasels stealing his chickens in the night. Pinocchio pleaded with him that he wasn't a weasel, but just a hungry puppet. The farmer replied that that wasn't better, but if the puppet wanted to work off his crime, the farmer did need a new dog. Of course, the farmer talked as if Pinocchio had a choice, but he snapped the collar on the puppet without waiting for a reply, and Pinocchio was now chained to the doghouse. Around two in the morning, he awoke to the sound of whispers. When he peeked his head out of the doghouse, he found seven weasels standing there, waiting for him. Hey, you aren't Malampo. What happened to the old dog? One of the weasels asked. Pinocchio rubbed the sleep from his eyes and mumbled something about the old dog dying. The weasels were noticeably bummed about this, but they agreed that Pinocchio looked like a good dog. A smart dog, actually. A dog that would take their deal. Pinocchio explained that he wasn't a dog at all, okay? Also, what sort of deal? The weasel gang shared that whenever they got hungry, they came to this farm and would carry off eight chickens. Eight of them. Now, if Pinocchio hadn't noticed, there were only seven weasels. That other chicken went to a good boy. One of the weasels took a step forward. He just had one question. Who's a good boy? Was Pinocchio a good boy? Pinocchio sighed. Outnumbered seven to one did not make for great odds. He took a deep breath and told the weasels that he was a good boy. The lead weasel smiled. Good. They will be back momentarily with his payment. With that, the seven weasels disappeared into the chicken coop. And when they did, Pinocchio casually walked over and put a heavy stone over the opening. He rushed in the direction of the house, but he was jerked back by the chain. He tried to whisper to the farmer to come quickly. The weasels were trapped, but the farmer's light didn't come on. He yelled for the farmer again and again, but still, the house was dark. Pinocchio sighed. Seriously? All right. The farmer's room lit up, and instantly, he was outside. Pinocchio, rubbing his neck and leaving the farm with its way too much weasel death in his wake, scampered quickly in the direction of home. By any estimation, he had been gone for weeks by this point. He hoped his father would remain there in safety with the turquoise fairy and... Wait. Where was the fairy's house? It should be right here. Well, it wasn't. In its place was a marble slab. Pinocchio cautiously approached and... 
despite having never gone to school, he could now read. The slab said, Here lies the lovely fairy with azure hair, who died of grief when abandoned by Pinocchio. If you're wondering what the most passive-aggressive thing you can put on your tombstone is, well, there you go. Little Pinocchio took the news about as well as anyone, who learned that they had inadvertently killed their adoptive mother by abandoning her. He huddled up next to her grave, weeping, and not wondering about other pressing issues, like what had happened to her house, and where Geppetto was now. Pinocchio was in the middle of wailing openly about how terrible his life was, when a very large pigeon landed on the branch above him. As he watched the marionette weep, he finally intervened, when Pinocchio started talking about how much he wanted to die. Drawing near, the pigeon offered that it couldn't be that bad. I mean, it could be worse. He could be this guy named Pinocchio. Okay, so get this. The guy abandons his magical surrogate fairy mom, and she gets so sad that she dies. He basically kills her himself. And his dad? His dad is so distraught that he just wanders around Europe looking for his son for four months. Since he can't find the little brat, he builds a boat to take him to the new world. Though, spoiler alert, that's a freakishly dangerous journey on a boat you made yourself. So now the dad's gonna die, and that death will be on his hand too. Oh, wait, that didn't seem to be cheering up the puppet at all. Was it something he said? He thought the tragic story about the selfish kid who inadvertently killed the only people in the world who cared about him would be a fun little pick-me-up. Huh. Note taken. Through tears and gobs of snot, or wood shavings, I'm not sure how Pinocchio actually cries, the pigeon realized that the kid he had been deriding was the very puppet standing in front of him. The pigeon learned about the fox, prison, and pretending to be a dog. He flew to the ground, and the turkey-sized pigeon, because those definitely exist and aren't just that big for this imminent plot point, told the puppet to hop on. It was 50 miles to the shore, and they had to get there as soon as possible if they were going to save Geppetto. The pigeon, for all of his interest in Pinocchio's life and willingness to trash-talk him to strangers, didn't stick around long enough to see what had happened to Geppetto, or even long enough for Pinocchio to thank him. He took off, leaving Pinocchio on the beach with a group of people, who were weeping and, quote, tearing out their hair. They told Pinocchio that this guy had been building a boat to sail to the New World to look for his son. They all told him that it was a bad idea to sail across the Atlantic on a boat you made yourself in under a week. But he wouldn't listen. He was adamant that he couldn't afford passage on an ocean liner, and he definitely couldn't buy a boat, so this was his only option. He had just finished that morning, about an hour before Pinocchio had arrived, and he set sail, just as a storm was brewing. They were now all gathered around to watch this guy surely die. His homebrew boat was already taking on water, and he had only barely left the harbor. Actually, he was still visible out there. See? Pinocchio gasped as he sprinted up the rocks for a better view. There, on the boat and submerged up to his ankles, was Geppetto, furiously bailing out water from his watercraft. Pinocchio yelled out with all of his might across the waves, and Geppetto froze. Pinocchio yelled again, and Geppetto looked frantically toward the rocks, squinting. There, just a little bigger than a speck, the old man saw his son waving to him. Pinocchio heard a laugh from the boat, and saw Geppetto waving his hat back and forth. He stopped bailing water, and started rowing back toward shore, back to finally see his long-lost son. That's how he missed the wave. Behind him, a massive swell was coming for his boat. What he mistook for Pinocchio's excited waving 
was actually his son screaming for him to turn around. As the shadow grew on his little boat, Geppetto did turn around, just in time for the wave to hit him. Hard. The crowd gathered on the beach screamed in horror as the wave flattened and rolled on. In its wake, there was nothing but rubble. Geppetto was gone. The people shook their heads and returned to their lives. But Pinocchio was tearing off his flower paper shirt and bark shoes and jacket. He was going after his father. Seconds later, he dove into the water. And it was actually pretty easy. He couldn't swim, but he was wooden and he didn't have to. He just drifted. Pinocchio paddled fast out to the point where his father had disappeared. But there was nothing. He peered into the murky blue darkness below. There was only water. Pinocchio rolled over, laid on his back, and wept. He didn't know how long he had wept, but he did feel the sand press beneath his wooden back, and then his feet. He raised himself on the beach. An island? In the ocean, a dolphin swam by. Pinocchio ran over and caught his attention. Hey, fish! Yeah, stop, I need your help! Well, I'm a dolphin, so we're actually mammals. Right, yes. Can I have a quick word with you? Pinocchio needed answers. Fast. Of course. You can have two if you want, the dolphin replied, quite proud of that joke. Okay, ha, you're very funny, Pinocchio replied and continued. He didn't know where he was. Of course, the dolphin didn't keep track of human stuff, but he believed this place was called an island, and it contained the land of busy bees. The dolphin was under the impression that it was just another metaphor town, like the town of Simple Simons. But being a dolphin, he didn't really have a firm grasp on what a town or a metaphor was, so, you know. Pinocchio asked the fish if he happened to hear anything about his father, Geppetto, whose boat had been destroyed on a beach not long ago. It, it's dolphin, I'm a dolphin, the dolphin replied. Ah, but yeah, I heard something about your guy on the internet. The what? Pinocchio choked. You know, the internet. That's what we call gossip we hear from tuna caught in a net. That's a fun ocean joke for you. Anyway, yeah, your dad was eaten by the terrible shark. He's not really a shark, more of just a really angry whale. He's about five stories tall, and you could fit an entire train engine in his mouth. There was maybe a chance that Geppetto had survived Jonah style, but the dolphin wouldn't hold out much hope. Pinocchio couldn't believe it. His father had been eaten by a whale? The dolphin cautioned that you really shouldn't trust everything you hear when you're poking around the internet, but this seemed pretty reliable. Pinocchio sighed. He should head to town and get something to eat. He thanked the fish. It's dolphin, please. Dolphins are not fish, we're mammals. It's this whole separate thing, and it's actually really offensive, but you know what? You're welcome, kid. Hope you find your dad. With that, the dolphin left and Pinocchio made his way toward town. As it turned out, the people of the town of Busy Bees didn't want to give food to a lazy marionette. They offered him jobs so he could work to earn his food, but he turned all those down because, well, he already did something today. Eventually, though, a young woman walked by with a jug of water. All it took was promises of bread, cauliflower with white sauce, and some cake and jam for Pinocchio to put aside his strong prejudices against work, to do ten minutes of it so he could eat and not die. When he sat down across the table from the young woman, he, somehow for the very first time, noticed that she had turquoise hair. What? 
he was sitting across from his fairy friend, the one who had allegedly died of a broken heart after Pinocchio had abandoned her. She had been little more than a child when Pinocchio had last left her. But now, she was nearly a woman. Blowing right past the questions of why she had faked her death and sent his father on a quest that led to him disappearing at sea, Pinocchio asked her how she grew. Was that something that people did? The fairy nodded. It was something that people did. But not puppets. Intrigued, Pinocchio pressed further, asking if he could be a person. He was kind of tired of being a marionette, though it really seemed to only benefit him, what with the floating and not being able to be stabbed and whatnot. The fairy seemed open to it, but had some stipulations. If he wanted to be a real boy, he had to stop lying, stop being lazy, and definitely stop running away from home. He had to go to school and or learn a trade and listen to her as if she were his mother. Pinocchio hesitated. Oh, basic normal human kid stuff was the price of becoming a real boy. Wow. Hmm. That was... That was a big price. But if he promised to do all those things, she would hold up her end of the bargain and make him into a real boy? The turquoise fairy nodded. She promised she would. But the rest was up to Pinocchio. Well, school went well. With a goal in mind, and having lost everything once on account of his duplicitousness, Pinocchio was committed to doing well and being a good kid. And for months, he managed. The kids were jerks, but he put up with them. Plus, they learned just how hard his wood hands and feet were the first time they fought him, and they quickly backed off. Then, something big happened. There were rumors that, nearby, a whale had beached. A whale that was five stories tall. One that was big enough to have a whole train in his mouth. The boys informed Pinocchio of this, and he agreed to cut class and go with them to investigate. There was hope that he would have some answers about his father. Pinocchio knew he shouldn't cut class, but the mere hope of seeing his father again was too much to ignore. He slung his books over his back and made off with the other boys toward the beach. It was about an hour away, and when they arrived, there not only wasn't Geppetto, but there wasn't even a whale. Confused, Pinocchio turned around and saw seven boys encircling him. Sneering, they told him that they were tired of this goody-goody showing them up in class, telling on them and being so hard to beat up one-on-one. -on -one. So they lured him out to this abandoned beach. There were no laws against dismembering a puppet and turning him into driftwood. So that was exactly what they were going to do. On cue, they lunged. Pinocchio had a hard life up to this point. It wasn't wholly undeserved, but he had become quite scrappy along the way. Scrappy enough to mostly handle seven boys who were trying to tear him to pieces. Soon, he had pushed them all back. And that was when the books came. They started chucking their books at Pinocchio, hoping to stun him long enough to get in there and beat him into submission. But he kept dodging them, and they kept splashing down in the ocean. In time, the boys were out of their books, so they grabbed Pinocchio's from when he had dropped them right before the fight began. All it took was one to end everything. Pinocchio saw his thick, leather-bound math book sailing through the air. At the last second, he deftly stepped aside, and the book flew past him. But then, from behind, 
came a sickening crack. All the color fled from the boys' faces as they looked in the direction of Pinocchio. Pinocchio also turned and saw one of the boys sprawled out on the ground, sand soaking up the blood that came from his head. The boys knew that they had killed their friend. If that wasn't enough, the police, alerted by the commotion, popped over a nearby hill. Pinocchio, stunned by the body in front of him, didn't break and run like the rest of the boys. He was still there when the police arrived. The police took one look at the sandy body, and then the book covered with both the boy's blood and Pinocchio's name. There, on the spot, they arrested Pinocchio for murder. And that's where we're going to end it for this week. Next week, we will wrap up the original story of Pinocchio. I promise. I want to say thanks to Australian Kate, Babin98, MangoMonkey999, Travo4000, Manalaney, FCSAF, JohnnyBoy10, FeedTheEye, LensJR, Abrams Epilogue, StrataviperJ, Far Northern Loon, Stacked Trash, and Pagan English Teacher for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. And there's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a carrot sharpener, basically something that sharpens your carrots, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that aren't just a hopefully cleaner pencil sharpener. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Hai Ho Shang from Chinese mythology. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it roughly translates to Sea Buddhist Priest because it lives in the sea and kind of maybe looks like a Buddhist priest from the neck up. That's really where the similarities end, though, because like a lot of water based mythological creatures, it is super into murdering things. It's kind of like a merman, though pretty heavy on the mer and light on the man, in that it's just a fish with a human head. Its hobbies include picking up your entire boat, tipping it over like a child's bath toy, and making sure every last member of your crew dies a terrifying watery death. You know, just because. There are multiple ways to repel the Hi-Ho Shang, and they range from smelly to fun. Well, the fun one could also be kind of smelly depending on how much of a sweat you work up dancing. The smelly one is to just burn bird feathers. Attached to the bird or not, doesn't really matter. The Hi-Ho Shang hates it and will swim away. The fun way is a dance party of one. At one point in Chinese history, and the sources are vague on which point exactly, it was common to have someone on board who knew the ritual dance and, in addition to his or her other duties, they would be expected to bust a move if a priest-headed fish showed up to tip over their boat because he didn't have anything better to do. Okay, I've never learned any ritual dances to ward off angry mermen, but I'm pretty sure I could repel just about anything with my dancing. My very own three-year-old said, quote, Daddy, please stop. Your dancing makes me sad. So I'm pretty confident I could scare off a merman by poorly doing the robot. That's it for this week. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. 
There are links to other music in the show notes. And today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and edited by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.